Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. In the summer of 2022, Eric, myself, and a friend of ours, Trevor Wolf, visited a number of historical sites pertinent to the history of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we're just giving a recap of some of the things that we saw and some of the things that we heard. And as I mentioned earlier, even some of the things we didn't hear while we visited a number of these buildings. We began our, our tour, if you will, in the city of Nauvoo, which is a very important place in the history of the LDS Church. Because Joseph Smith was alive at this time. He would be killed in Carthage Jail, located several miles away. But this is a very important city in the history of the church. And so we're going to a number of these buildings that the LDS Church has recreated, because as you can imagine, a lot of the original homes and a lot of the original buildings fell into disrepair. And so instead of trying to rebuild what was already there, it would probably be unsafe. They'd just have to level it and start over again. One of those buildings that we visited was called the 70 Hall. The 70 Hall, the original one, was built in 1844. It was a meeting place and also used as a lecture hall. But the 70s, which is a part of the LDS hierarchy, they're below the 12 apostles, they would meet there as well. It also had a library that was in this building at the time. But what we did not know that we learned later on was this was the building where Sidney Rigdon gave his plea to members of the church that he felt he was the guardian of the church when he made his pitch to become Joseph Smith's successor who had died in June of 1844. Sidney Rigdon's speech was in August of 1844, and it was given in the 70 Hall. Now, of course, this isn't the original building. We know that. A lot of these buildings are recreations. In fact, after the Saints left for the Salt Lake Valley in 1846, this building became a Presbyterian church. That was not a part of the, of the narration that the sister missionary gave us. We were greeted by a very nice couple, and as I mentioned earlier this week, a lot of the tour guides there are retired couples. Every single couple, every single missionary that we met were the best of people you could ever imagine. I get a little irritated when people say that we try to make Mormons look bad. That's not our purpose at all. Though we do have a problem with Mormonism, we have found that the Latter-day Saint people are, for the most part, very nice people, very pleasant people to be around. And every single person we met on this tour would fall into that category. But it was interesting in talking with this couple, and I should say, the couple meets us at the door, and we ended up going upstairs now, the husband followed us upstairs, but then he went downstairs, and we could hear him talking downstairs, so he probably was meeting other visitors that were there. But we had a very nice conversation with his wife, and the subject of polygamy came up. 
And Eric, for the life of me, that topic came up a lot of times, but I don't think we were the ones that brought it up. It was almost like they were bringing it up, and almost apologetically they would bring it up. This sister missionary, she made it very clear that she did not like polygamy, that she would have a problem with that. And I believe it was her who said that if polygamy was true in the next life, celestial polygamy, I think that's what we brought up to her, she would think that God would change her mind towards polygamy if that were to be true. You have to understand that a lot of LDS women, though they know that plural marriage is a part of their church's history, many of them do not want it for themselves. Yeah, she very clearly said that she was not willing to share her husband, and that's why she felt in the next life, if it hasn't been changed, that God would somehow change this, which shows the ladies uh, understand the impossibility of that kind of a relationship and have it be called heaven. Let me ask you, Eric, since we're talking about that, is there anything in your belief regarding our next life that you hope isn't true? That God is somehow going to change. and No, I mean, we're going to be worshiping Jesus. There's going to be things that God has in store for us there that uh, not a lot of information is given. I think we need to be uh, clear that we don't have every idea of what heaven will be like. But at the same time, there's nothing that I'm hoping that will be changed like, well, I guess I don't want to worship Jesus all the time. I hope there's other things I can do besides having to worship. The New Testament tells us that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them who love him. That's why I asked that question. We find that when it comes to this idea of celestial polygamy, a lot of LDS women are apprehensive about that, and they're almost hoping that it's not true. That's why I asked you the question the way I did. I cannot imagine anything that I read about what heaven is going to be like for God's people that I'm not happy about. I mean, I'm not thinking, gee, I hope that's really not true. And imagine how many LDS women have that kind of a feeling when it comes to this doctrine of celestial polygamy, as it's known. I think you're bringing out a good point, and I don't think she would have any problem with Heavenly Father being polygamous, and that perhaps his father was polygamous, going back into an infinite regression, and yet somehow she's hoping in the next step, somehow it will be taken away so she doesn't have to go through the effect of having to share her husband in a way that she doesn't want to do. Well, what was fascinating about this visit at the 70 Hall and talking with this very nice lady is we were not disturbed. In fact, many times when we had an opportunity to talk with some of these tour guides. We did not have other visitors in the room with us, so we were given really a private audience with them, and many times we would attempt to share the gospel with them. And that, of course, was one of the reasons why we wanted to go see these sites, not just to hear what they're saying about their history, but to find out where they are in light of eternity. And so we were asking this lady about her next life, and of course she wasn't sure that all her sins were forgiven, but she did make it a point to tell us that she repents every day. She repents every day. Now, you might think that that's a very noble thing, and I would certainly give her credit for being cognizant of her shortcomings. But in the context of Mormonism, really, repenting every day is not what you should be doing. And Joseph Smith even said as much. The reason why is because you're supposed to be keeping the commandments. And you're supposed to be doing that on a continual basis. So if you find yourself repenting every day, you're acknowledging that you weren't keeping the commandments like you were supposed to. I guess I walked away from that comment she made thinking, well, 
If you die in your sleep, I guess that's okay according to Mormonism. But what if you get up the next day? You got to start all over again. Yeah, she made it a point. It was at the end of the day she would repent. So the the point is, when she went to sleep, now I lay me down to sleep. Everything would be okay if she did die somehow in her sleep. But what about the Lucy Mac Smith house? What did we find out there? Well, Lucy Mac Smith, of course, was the mother of Joseph Smith. She had her own home there. And as this very nice sister missionary took us into this little parlor type room, it was very small. The home was itself wasn't that large, but she made it a point to show us an open pearl of great price. And it was open to the book of Abraham, the facsimiles that are in the book of Abraham, which are very controversial. And certainly Joseph Smith, when he interprets what these facsimiles mean, he's wrong on every point. Well, she was saying that Lucy Mac Smith liked to show people the book of Abraham. She apparently was very proud about that, that her son probably in her mind had translated this Egyptian hieroglyphics into English, and that eventually became the book of Abraham. When I explained to her that the way it has been explained in the past is not really what it is. In other words, it's more of a funerary text that is not uncommon throughout Egypt. She was not aware of that. She really did not have a good grasp of the history of the manuscripts that Joseph Smith used to bring forth the Book of Abraham. She was not familiar with the Gospel Topics essays that her church had put out years ago that explained what these facsimiles were about and what Joseph Smith had translated. And if she was not familiar with those essays, she probably was not familiar with the fact that those essays admit that Joseph Smith translated the Book of Abraham by revelation and not in what it says was a conventional translation. I find it strange that they had that open to the Book of Abraham when they easily could have not mentioned that and at, at the very least, at least explain to your people what exactly you're dealing with, because that's a loaded issue. More people have left the LDS Church over the Book of Abraham than perhaps any other historical or doctrinal issue. You're just opening up an invitation to get into a controversy. Apparently, they must not have very often, but that surprised us to have that open. I, I was actually quite surprised that our attention was turned towards the Book of Abraham. And this woman seemed to be pretty proud about it. I would have no doubt whatsoever if I were to learn that she really believed that it was a conventional translation of the text. Maybe that's why she was so proud of the Book of Abraham. But she didn't seem to have a real grasp of the actual history of the Book of Abraham and the controversy that surrounds it. And you know what? That's probably true with a lot of these missionaries that are stationed in these various buildings throughout Nauvoo. They probably only stick to the script. They only go by what they're told to say. And that's why when you're talking to them, getting them off the script sometimes can be very beneficial towards having a very good conversation with them. Bill, one other place that we went to would be called the Scoville Bakery. It was a heavy rain, and we needed to get out of the rain, so we ran in and The idea of the celestial kingdom became a big issue here. One of the sisters said to us, atonement covers it all as far as the celestial kingdom. But Bill, that's not the entire truth of it. There were two elderly women 
in in that building, the Scoville Bakery. And it was on a Friday morning, and it was raining. And you're right, we had to get out of the rain, so we had to park in this parking lot and then kind of run towards this place. Again, very nice, but we had a conversation with them. Again, we were not disturbed by any other visitors at this time, so it was like the Lord opened the opportunity for us to just share some of what we believe with these nice ladies. But yeah, atonement covers it all. What, what did that really mean to them? Well, and then she said very clearly, and I remember this like it was yesterday, it will all pan out in the end. How many Latter-day Saints live their lives thinking that, well, you know, I haven't repented of all my sins, I haven't done everything I'm supposed to, but somehow God will have me in favor and it will all pan out in the end. And the context of her comment was in regards to, well, what about having loved ones that really aren't on the same page as you as a Latter-day Saint? Maybe they were born in the covenant and have fallen away from Mormonism. We've asked that of many Latter-day Saints, and you're right, that seems to be the answer we hear most often. Somehow it'll all pan out in the end. In other words, they're hoping for something to take place that really their scripture nor their church actually teaches, because church leaders don't say things like that. They're pretty specific as far as what is required of an individual Latter-day Saint if they hope to be with their family in the next life. There's really no question mark about that. But it seems like a lot of members, in order to feel better about their faith, and of course they love their relatives, I can understand that, they make up a Mormonism that soothes their conscience. That lady was one of them. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.